After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with crowns, golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in the front and behind. The, four living, the first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created from within the greatness and majesty of him who sits on the throne. Not only did he create creation, not only did he create humanity, but he created the church. Good morning, brothers and sisters in the Lord. My name is Kaipo Thomas, one of the pastors here. Great honor and privilege to bring God's word to you this day. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas? Is it too early yet? No, can't, can Happy holidays. All right. Um, if you're catching up with us for the first time, we're in a series titled We Believe. We, in the last nine weeks, we've been talking about the Apostles' Creed. Today, we are talking about the statement within the Apostles' Creed that says the Holy Universal or Catholic Church and the communion of saints. Today, we are talking about the church. Amen. Jesus said of the church, he will build it. Amen. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and says that we are the very fullness of him. How's that? And he, God, put all things under his feet, Jesus, and gave him Jesus as head over all things to us, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Later on in the letter, Paul would say that, that we are the very dwelling place of God. Awesome, no? What I read to you in the beginning was Revelation chapter 4, this great image we have of John 
the very disciple of Jesus being able to look up into heaven and just give us a little description, right? I mean, as best as he could. Of God on the throne. And I just think this morning as we talk about the church, lest we treat it something ungodly, lest we treat it something as common, let us not forget that the fact that we are here today was birthed and thought of and created by the one who sits on the throne. Amen? Amazing, no? That we would be the dwelling place of God, that we would be the very fullness of Him who sits on the throne. Uh, Wayne Grudeman wrote of these, um, uh, there's so many metaphors, and I cannot cover them all, but I want to cover a couple metaphors for you before we, we continue. Um, in Scripture, it says the, the body of Christ or, or the church is, is referred to as either a, a family in, in 1 Timothy 5, the body of Christ or a holy priesthood, the bride of Christ, the branches of the vine, God's new dwelling place. And Wayne Grudeman wrote of these metaphors. They can help us appreciate more of the richness of the privilege that, that we have that God has given us by incorporating us into this church. The fact that the church is a family should increase our love and fellowship with one another. Amen. Not just a bunch of random people, but God is trying to create here a family. I mean, many of us are connected and really love our family because we're connected by blood, you know? Well, the blood of Christ was shed in order that we would become like a, like a family. Amen. That's heavy, yeah? The fact that the church is as a body of Christ should increase our interdependence on one another and our appreciation of the diversity of the gifts within the body. As, as we talked about last, last week with the Holy Spirit and the gifts that come within the body, amen? That not every one of us maybe has all the gifts, you know? And we've got to depend on other people who have strengths and gifts and talents in order that we can accomplish something great or something godly in this world amen we cannot do it all on our own i need the body i need you guys this would not be fun if you never show up today you know but together we get to worship right even if there was one other person the presence of god would be here and we would be able to have fellowship with one another and fellowship with god the fact that the church is the bride of christ should urge us to strive with greater purity and holiness the fact that the church is like, a, like branches in a vine should cause us to rest in him more fully and to continue to grow in our faith. John chapter 15, so rich. So very rich. Take some time to read it. It's good. Yeah, connected to the vine, man. We're the branches. You know, not separated, but we've been grafted into this relationship with the all-holy God. And grafted into one another. Amen? Man, just interwoven. I like, I like that terminology, you know? Like threads within your clothes. Just interwoven. You know where one begins and one ends, but we're connected. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The fact that the church is like a holy priesthood should help us ease, uh, help us see more clearly the delight God has in the sacrifice of praise, yeah? And the good works that we offer. 
And as I mentioned, the, the last one, Ephesians 2, God is creating for us, in us, a dwelling place for himself. Amen? In our hearts, but also in our worship, as we gather together. Yeah? The writer Hebrews says, let us not forsake the gathering together. Why? Because God shows up when we meet. Amen? I mean, yes, God is present in our individual lives, but God shows up when we gather together in his name and say, Father, come and speak to us today. Can we pause and pray this morning? And, 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 and really, that's my heart, that, that this morning we would leave here with a deeper sense of gratitude to God for the church. We attend church a lot. We've talked about the church a lot. And sometimes, because we are so familiar with the church, we treat it as unholy. But let us not forget that it was birthed in the holy of holies. That God in his infinite wisdom said, hey, I'm going to birth and create the church. And I'm going to dwell amongst them. Amen. That's my goal this morning, right, is to maybe reholify the church for a little bit. Amen. That we would talk highly about the church, that we would support the church, that we would love the church because it is the very body of Christ. It's the thing that God values that he's coming back for. Amen. And it's good for us to be in support of it. Not just a building, but a people. Amen. A people, not just here at Waipuna Chapel, but across Maui, amen? One church, many congregations, and not only Maui, but Hawaii, the nation, and across the world. If there's a church that proclaims Jesus Christ, they're our family, and we should speak highly of them, amen? We live in a time where we can be very critical on people that are famous or on TV, right? Especially the Christian people, amen? Christians, being critical Christians, shouldn't be that way. We good? Let's pray. Let's pray this morning. Father, we worship you. We thank you so much, Lord, for the time that we get this morning to gather together in worship through music and worship through prayer and offering God and worship through your word. We ask that, and I ask, Lord, as one of the pastors here, that, that you would help us, Lord, to, to leave here this morning and to receive here this morning just deeper insight into what you created, the church, that we would leave here with just a deeper appreciation, Lord, for what it is that you have left us to manage and what you have left us to be a part of. And Father, to all these things, we give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the Apostles' Creed is a statement of faith that states the, the majors of, of Christianity. It helps us to unite with the church of the past, the church of the present, and church of the future, right? I mean, unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime, right, we're going to leave this church to the next generation. This creed helps us to reject some of the cultural narratives, some of the isms, right, the distinctive practices and systems and philosophies of these world. Three um, isms that I want to talk about this morning is, you got that? Uh, hey. uh, atheism, the belief that there is no God by studying the creed, we clearly and intellectually and factually and undeniably state that God exists. Amen? That God is alive, right? That God is not dead. You guys seen that movie? I like that movie. It's good, you know? That God is not dead. He's alive, right? He rose in a physical form, and the physical Jesus came back, and he dwelt for like 40 days, right? If guys didn't get it before, they definitely got it after. Like, wow, this guy came back from the dead. I ate fish with him, right? We hung out for a little bit. 
we deny the, the agnostic view, right? The, the view that the existence of God is unknown or is unknowable. By studying the creed, we proclaim that not only is God real, but we can know about him, we can know him, and that he knows us and wants to be in a relationship with us. I mean, how far apart from agnostic can we get? Right? As far as possible. Amen? We deny skepticism. You know, skepticism claims that... um, that nothing can be known with certainty, that we can know little or nothing about the big questions in life, such as whether God exists or whether there is an afterlife. A couple weeks ago, we we talked about the the judgment seat of God, right? Dr. Drager came and spoke to us about that day when we will stand before God in glory. And I'm going to tell you, it it will do you well to prepare now for that day. That's not the test that you want to, like, just throw up the night before and study for, you know? Like, it'll, it'll do you well to know that not only is there an afterlife, but we're going to stand before our maker. For those who didn't believe, for those who rejected this opportunity for a relationship, they're going to get there that day and understand that they don't know who that God is, and they're going to be in utter fear. For those who do know him, right, who did receive the message, who have believed in Jesus Christ, 1 John, I mean, John 1, 12 says, right, he gave us the right to become sons and daughters of God. It's going to be, as Doc said, a reunion, a rewarding opportunity that we get to receive the crown of life that God promised to all those who love him, right? James 1, 12, so good, so excited. Not only is there an afterlife, but it's going to be something, and it's something that we are looking forward to already. Amen? Already. So this morning, I want to get into um, those those five terms that we are talking about. Um, So the Holy Catholic or Universal Church and the the communion of of saints. Um, I kind of threw a lot of my my notes with you. Uh, You guys can follow along. And... uh, this morning, I want to just open up, and, and we're going to talk about holy first, that, that first term, holy. Holy is defined as a sacred place or thing. Rarely is it abstract, a consecrated or dedicated thing, hallowed, a holy day, portion, or um, a holy thing. Uh, so sometimes to, to help us to understand what something is, it's good to talk about its opposite. So I want to talk about what the opposite of holy is, but before... I talk about what the opposite of holy is. I want to talk about what the opposite of holy isn't. You guys confused yet? You guys good? Okay. So the opposite of holy isn't sin or sinfulness, as many of us think. Right? God is holy and sinless. So, right, for us to be sinful, we are unlike God and holy. That's a part of the definition. But a more accurate understanding of what the opposite of holy is is the common thing. Yeah, because in Scripture, so in, in the Old Testament, right, um, of things used for worshiping God, right, things were, were made or selected for use, or, or maybe it was people that were chosen or dedicated, and they were ultimately dedicated and consecrated for, for godly use. We understand that people can be sinful, but when you talk about items that were used, namely uh, wood or material or cups, right, 
that were used for a holy practice, like we don't ultimately think of those things as being sinful. But nonetheless, from the common cups or from the common material, they were used and dedicated and you know, uh, uh, prayed over and selected from the common to be used for the, the holy. In the New Testament, God calls us and refers to us as, as holy. And the holy God is still calling us out of the common things in this world and into his holy work and relationship. He calls us not to conform to the world and its patterns, but to be different. Amen? To be peculiar. To 52 weeks out of the year, hang out on a Sunday morning. Not only hang out, but give your money here. That's peculiar, right? That's a little different. To give unto the Lord that which is due him as an act of faithfulness. That God is entrusting with you the 100% to be faithful with all of that. To give 10% back to him, but still with the 90 that you, right, are to manage, to manage that in a godly way also. What has happened in Jesus Christ is that God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to save us, redeem us from the death end and the death life. For him, he has called us, yeah, and he set us apart for holy work. We were made, we were chosen by invitation. He uh, cleansed us and set us apart from the common. He has set us apart from things of the worldly, and he has set us onto the godly. You guys like how that works within faith, right? God calls us out of dead works into life works. Yeah, he calls us out of a death life into a life more abundantly in John 10.10. When I first came to, to know the Lord, one of the first things I understood about God is that he was different. Amen? That I was not like him. Yeah? That he was holy and I was not. That God was sinless and I was sinful. But more than just the sin separation, just his presence alone demanded that he receive reverence and receive a type of dedication that was due him. Even though I was different, there was a longing to be a part of him. There's a longing to, to participate with him. There was a gratitude that I had that this all-holy God was present and inviting me, right, speaking to me, wooing me into a deeper understanding when I was a nobody. I mean, I came to know the Lord when I was seventh grade, you know? You think of yourself as a nobody, as an adult? You're a nobody when you're seventh grade, you know? Nobody knows you. I wasn't popular. I was chubby. I was just, like, not talented. I wasn't selected first in sports, you know? I just was, like... I existed. But even in that, you know, meaningless existence that I did have, God got my attention. And he said, how's it going, Kaipo? I'm here, and I want a relationship with you. You are not like me. But I'm going to make a provision for you through my son, Jesus Christ. Amen? In Deuteronomy 14, 2, it writes, you have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God, and he has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own treasured possession. Ah, oh, good, no? 
guys, the God is looking at us and says, of all my possessions, of all my creations, I'm going to take you, the church, and you're going to be my treasure. I mean, this was a nation, right, then. But we can apply that now, not just as individuals, but as a collective whole and say, you guys are going to be my treasured people. In Hebrews 10.10, the writer writes, we have been sanctified, which also means set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus made this atonement for us, this opportunity, this way for us to, to be set apart from the common and to be used by the holy, the holy God. Any of us willing to give up things of this world in order to be used by the all-holy God? To give up maybe practices and behaviors and achievements and trophies and fame and fortune to be noticed and to be a servant of the all-holy God? I'm, sign me up. Yeah, Sign me up. I'm in there. Okay, let's move to, to the second term and probably one of the more controversial terms that we have within this statement uh, is, is the term Catholic, yeah? The term Catholic, or you've also seen it translated universal, simply means the, the, uh, according to the whole or, or a universal. So after Jesus left, right, the, the believers were, um, and the disciples, the apostles, followed after Jesus and his teachings, and they continued to go and make disciples of all nations, and they were just addressed as the Catholic Church, the general church, the universal group of believers that are following um, after Jesus and his teachings. In, uh, in those times, there, uh, there were um, Greek and, and Roman official uh, religions, state religions. These state religions created differences between people, so they separated within these religions a Jew and, and Greek and Roman that they would separate people slave and, and free. They would separate people uh, in gender, male and female. And Paul shows up right on the scene chasing after the Lord and taking this gospel message and in the midst of this setting says, you know about this Jesus Christ and his way, there will be no separation between Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one. In Christ Jesus, amen? The universal, right, this universal statement unites us together. It calls us together. The next statement is, is the church, yeah. Or ecclesia, as many of you have, have heard um, it translated in the Old Testament. God called um, his people into what is defined as an, an assembly. Hey, assemble to God, uh, assemble together because God has uh, either a message or an instruction or, or wants to provide guidance for the, the whole. And so in the Old Testament, God called his people to ecclesia, to assemble together, to gather together, yeah? To be, if you want, we don't have the Old Testament, but the, but the church, you know? In, in the New Testament, this, this word to assemble, right, uh, isn't so much a religious term as it was a political term. When Jesus showed up and started using that term, the church, it was in reference to what um, 
they would use to gather political parties together. It, it was hard to get a message across. So what they, uh, politicians would do is they would send trumpeters and messengers out into the town and they would blow trumpets and say, hey, there's a meeting coming up. Here's the time and here's the place and here's what we're going to talk about. And so the people who heard the call and heard the message and responded to the message had the opportunity to be a part of that meeting, to be a part of that gathering, which is not much more different than what we are called to do today, amen? We're called to be the trumpeters, right? To go out into the world and to give this message, hey, God is accessible through his son, Jesus Christ. He's calling us into relationship. You are not worthy, but God is making you worthy through his son, Jesus Christ. Do you hear the message? Will you respond? Amen. Will you gather with the church in a building? Not come to church, right? Will you gather with the church in a building and come and hear about the good news of Jesus Christ? In the New Testament, the, the church is never referred to as a building but it does talk about the church as, as a whole group of people in an area. Amen? Yeah, to the church in the general area. It also refers to the church can be a specific congregation. Yeah? It also can be, uh, they, they never really had like, huge meeting places or buildings, but they would meet in, in houses, right? And so specific groups of people in this small area was also referred to as, as the church. Uh, I've been reading about, in, in my studies, um, William Barclay gives four reasons for the church. So, so why, you know, what's the necessity of the church? The church can be an instrument, right, and an agent through which people meet Christ. The church exists to unite people in fellowship with one another. The church provides us an opportunity to worship. The church helps us to accomplish greater things together. You know, of that, that first um, necessity of the church, Barclay writes, the Christian faith and Christian tradition, the Christian gospel are preserved within the church. It is the church that preaches and proclaims the gospel message. It is the church in the spoken word, the written word, and also in the life and the conduct of its men members, which confronts people with Jesus Christ. In most cases, it is through the agency of the church that a person is brought face-to-faith -face with Jesus Christ to talk about our lives coming to, or to talk about the, how we came to know the Lord. You almost have to assume that the church was a part of that conversation, even though it may not have been within the assembly of the church, because ultimately, we are all here today because somebody was influenced by the, the church that Jesus left, you know. As the apostles took God's word and they continued to meet together and taught people to meet together so that they can fulfill the one another's, right? That they can fulfill this calling. Ultimately, the church was left and we are here today. All of us are here today because of the church. The second one, and I like this, right? The church is meant to unite people into fellowship with one another. There's over 100 one another's in the New Testament in 94 verses. The last time I preached, I 
read a bunch of them, you know. And it was, it was awesome for us to see. The fact is that for us to fulfill the one another, what do we need? You need another, right? You need another to fulfill the one another's. And I just want to focus on, on one one another. Um, I think in your, in your notes, there's uh, overviewbible.com, great little separation and the cool little PDF I'll post on our website of, of the breakdown of those um, 100 different times that the one another's are, are mentioned. But I just want to focus on one of the one another's um, this morning. In John 17, uh, Jesus prayed, Jesus prayed, yeah, that we may be one even as he and the Father are one. Heavy? Maybe an answer that, a prayer that would be answered by God. You know, I mean, it was his son, right? I prayed that. But Jesus in his heart and, his, and when he was thinking about who we were and who we were going to be, Jesus prayed that we would be united with one another just as he and the Father are united with one another. In John 13, uh, 33 and 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. One important aspect of our one another is just one of those 100 one another's that I want to focus on this morning that will help us to Stay united with one another. You guys have heard it before. It just becomes something that you can leave here and totally forget today. See, because like Paul would write that there should be no division, right? So in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right? So this church had all kinds of issues, right? The church Corinth, go and read the first letter that he sent. I mean, there's sexual immorality, the kind that wasn't even practiced amongst the pagans. They were uh, not doing communion well. The church sometimes was in, in havoc in their time of worship. Like, they had all kinds of issues. But what was the first issue that Paul addressed in chapter 1 and chapter 3? Division. He said that it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, that you should be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Like, there shouldn't be conflict. If we are brothers and sisters united in the Lord, we should, yeah, have no division, but we really should be united. And so today, I just want to focus on one of the one another's, and, and it's simply to forgive. Simply forgive one of um, the sermons I was listening to in, in preparation said, um, praise God that there's no perfect church because I probably wouldn't be invited because as soon as I invited, no longer would that church be perfect, amen? Anybody think about the, the crazy thing that we do a lot is that on a normal day when we've had enough food and had enough sleep and we're not stressed out, none of us would hurt people we love. But you get us a little hungry, you get us a little tired, you get us a little stressed, and we do the very thing that we ought not to do. We say things that we ought not to do. Amen? And we are going to error. I'm going to say things I'm not supposed to say. Amen? I'm going to do things that I ought not to do. 
And I'm going to need you guys to forgive me. If not, you guys have to fight yourself with another pastor, right? Because it may be bad, right? I mean, you guys think about the pressures that you guys may have in, in the life that you guys live, right? Maybe as parents or, or company owners. And, and maybe you can be forgiven, right? Because in, in a company, maybe it's, you know, not golly or golly, whatever, people in the world, like you error, big deal, it's your company. What happens with Pastor Sean and I error? You know, guys are like, oh my gosh, like. And, and we're going to need your forgiveness. Why? We error. And I'm going to need you to forgive me. And I need you to for God needs you to forgive one another. Amen? I've needed forgiveness. Yeah? I mean, I, I've been working as a pastor since 2002, man. God knows that I've needed forgiveness. Not just from him, but from people. And so Paul would open that up. It says, not only forgive but be kind be tender-hearted not only those things but the verse right before it says let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you yeah, along with all malice you know just it really these things should not be a part of our congregation it should not be a part of our lives and if it is grace and peace to you because it it's tough right like when you get hurt this is where we live yeah and it's hard, right? the most difficult times is when we get hurt by people that should love us, right? I mean, if some random dude flips me off, I mean, whatever, you know, I'll forget about him in a couple hours. But if somebody who loves me says something that they ought not to say, man, I feel entitled, right? I feel hurt. Why? Because they mean more. The words that they say mean more to me. And so... God would encourage us to, in his word, that we got to forgive. We have to forgive. Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I mean, ultimately, Jesus went to the cross and he paid the ultimate price for us. Amen? But I don't want that to be a blind spot in my life, to show up on that day and know that my sins had been forgiven, but I hadn't forgiven other people of their sins. It almost seems contradictory, right? That God would show us so much love and then I stand before him and he's like, Kaipo, you're grateful to be here, amen? Like, yeah, real, real grateful to be here, you know? And then just, he's like, well, you, you probably could have set some people free in your life by being forgiving, amen? Is that good? Is that good for you guys today, man? I, I truthfully, I need you guys to, to be that. For me. And we need to be that for one another. Amen. You know, the church, the, the, the church provides us opportunity to worship. As believers, we want to worship. Amen. Not only through song, but through song. Shaka. I love, I mean, that's one of the great honors for me as a pastor to stand up here and lead you guys to the throne room. You know, some of you guys just all, go all out, you know. And, and I feel like recently I've been looking out and, and I and I love seeing you guys worship. And sometimes I'd be like, oh, that's so intimate that I got to like turn away because I feel like your guys' communion with God is not something that I should look at. And the church provides us that structure to worship. Yeah? We've been created to worship, right? In Exodus 20, right? The, the Ten Commandments, it says, you shall not have any other God. You shall not bow down to those gods. You shall not worship those gods. Why? Because our God is a jealous God and he wants that of himself. Right in, in the 
in the temptations, right? The, the last of the three, Jesus was tempted to worship and to bow down, right? Jesus responds and says, you shall not worship, or you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. We've been created to worship, and the church gives us an opportunity to worship. The church helps us to accomplish greater things together. You know, in this time that we live, in this world that we live, and not just now, but throughout our the history of humanity, there's been great evils that rise up in the world, yeah? Amen? There's been great evils that rise up in the world, and the church unifies under a banner of love and justice, and we value life, and we chase after those things that we wouldn't be able, and we wouldn't be able to accomplish many of those things if not for the united whole. Yeah? Not only Waipuna Chapel, but the united church of Jesus Christ across this world. And my wife is here this morning. Stephanie, she's over here. You guys are like, where's your wife? She's here today. Amen. She works uh, changing schedules, so she's not at every service, and I leave her off that. You know, I don't tell her she has to be at every service. Amen. Um, But she's here by her own choice today. And one of our uh, theme verses for this first year of marriage that we just completed. (coughs) Um, uh, One of the theme verses that we've talked about constantly that God has fulfilled in our life is Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do the unimaginable things. You know? You guys understand? God wants to unravel some unimaginable things, like things that we cannot imagine, but he can imagine. You know, and we've seen the unimaginable things, like, you know, like the best time that I've thought, you know, like our wedding, just right out of the gate, man. We sought, and we prayed, and we planned, and and still yet, God, there was, there's some moments where I was like, oh, hey, that was good, God, you know? Like, I, I come walking out, right, um, into the ceremony, and like, all these evil birds go, Whoo! you know? Like, just right above us. And everyone's like, oh, there's all kinds of signs. I'm like, I don't know what a sign it is, but that's cool, you know? That's not something I could have controlled or planned. If you guys want to accomplish the unimaginable, if you want to see the unimaginable things of God, Jesus tells us to follow the imaginable things written in Scripture. Namely, to love God and to love others. That's a simple game plan, to see the unimaginable. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you love others in the same way, God will show you things that only He knows. Shaka, that's good. It's good. It's good. Okay? That's real good thing. You know, lastly, uh, I'm not going to spend too much time, but the communion of saints, communion, that word um, koinonia, fellowship, really is the, the, the uniting of us. I mean, we're talking about communion of saints. We get to be addressed not as sinners, but as saints, right? That God no longer holds our sin against us. He forgives us and he makes us white as snow and he separates as far as the east is from the west the sins that we've committed and then he addresses us as sons and daughters saints onto his service and so we talk about community or communion of saints it's, it's how we do life together yeah how we do life together uh in ephesians uh, 5 2 Jesus, ultimately, Paul proclaims that Jesus, right, loved us and he gave himself up for us, the church. 
It's been the greatest call in my life. I mean, there's been a few times where God's called me into work and relationship, but one of the major calls in my life was to give my life for the church. My first calling as a young junior higher was to love God. You know, like that was a clear, like that was like what, what I knew God had for me was to love him, to learn about him. And, and in the church, I was given an opportunity to love God. You know, I was taught that God loved me. You guys remember the first time you guys understood that? You know, when God came and somebody came and said, hey, God loves you, huh? I was given an opportunity to love God. I was given an opportunity to learn about God's love for me. I grew up in a family where my, my dad's one of 11, my mom's one of six siblings, and my mom was Protestant, my dad was Catholic, but they both had a relationship with the Lord. When they began our family, they said, you know, we want to make sure that God is part of our family. Amen? Amen? Shaka, you know, a double amen for me. You know, and so I learned how to pray. I learned that God was real for my family. But with, within my family, right, we started to look for churches. And when we were like, when I was like sixth, seventh grade, right, God found us a little local body down in Pukalani where in that church, right, the, the gospel was proclaimed. It was taught, right? I was, I was able to learn about God's word, about, about learning what prayer was. I was already praying, but I remember learning that this, you know, what prayer was, and I was like, I already been doing that, you know, like that's kind of cool. I remember on a, on a Sunday morning, the pastor was preaching, and, you know, he gave an invitation. Like, hey, if you want to have a relationship with this God, I'll pray for you. And I was young. And there was no, you know, it's just the normal pastor and a normal message and a normal invite that he had done, and no special speaker or no special music, but the, the Spirit of God was special. And the Spirit of God started to speak to me and said, Kaipo, it's you. I'm using your pastor to talk to you. I want to give you a chance to have a relationship with me today. And I stood up by myself and I walked down and I knelt at these chairs that they had in the front and I said, Jesus, I don't know why. I don't know why you're even paying any attention to me. But if your invite is real, I'm going to take it. Forgive me of my sins that separate me from you and come and teach me. And the church gave me an opportunity to learn about that love and gave me an opportunity to, to repent more and more. Amen? So my first time in junior high, God told me, Love me. As I got older, that love for God became a love for the church. The second clearest thing I had in my mind was love the church. And so we were a set up and break down church for 17 years. And so my parents were servants and they loved God in that matter, which means Sunday morning I woke up and I had to set up chairs and we set up sound equipment and and I was able to play on the worship team and learn about those things and break down and just serve the church and love the church in service. Amen. It wasn't until I had graduated college that God gave me another calling to love the young people. And then from then on, it specifically, God gave me gifts 
right, to minister to young people, and I'm still doing that now. Amen. Two more, two more things, and we're almost, we're almost done here this morning. You know, one of the, the more difficult but treasured gifts that the church offered me was discipline. I was a young guy. I'm still a young guy, shoot. But I needed, God knew I needed a church that would tell me when I was wrong. And then walk beside me in my error and in my repentance. Hebrews chapter 12 says, if we are not disciplined, we're not children. We're illegitimate children if we don't understand God's discipline and receive God's discipline. And just think about it. It's difficult, right? Difficult, right, to receive correction from somebody, anybody, right? Anybody. People start chirping at you and your, your defense mechanisms come up already, you know? The local boy in me comes out. I'm like, ah, you know? Would you rather receive correction God or from a person. I feel like God has given us one another to, to be the eyes and ears and, and mouth of God. I would much rather Brooks come up to me and give me a correction than to stand before God in his glory and get corrected, you know, or I just, you know, I just feel like we can be grace to one another because you know, I know God understands our frailty and our humanity, but man, I've been really appreciative to the church, yeah, to, to discipline me, as hard as that may seem. I am who I am today because I've been loved in that manner, and that's hard. That's difficult when people come up and they call you out on things that maybe you know, and even harder if you don't know, you know, you're like, shoot. The church has given me an opportunity to grieve and mourn well. I've lost some loved ones over my lifetime. A lot of loved ones. Praise God for the church. Amen? Praise God for people who maybe they've walked through your shoes or similar shoes, or maybe they haven't. But they've walked that path of grieving and mourning, and they were able to walk with me in that time. I am grateful that the church exists. You know, as we close up today, just one verse for you. In, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he says, you know, about brotherly love, um, he doesn't have to teach them because they were taught by God how to love. You know, the crazy thing about First Thessalonians is that that letter, Paul was only with them for three weeks. And he saw something amongst them that was like, man, this is not for me. You guys know how to love one another because you've been taught by God. And so as we finish here this morning, just three takeaways. Continue to love God here. Like in our gatherings, continue to show up and bring friends with you, you know? It's good. It does me well, right, to love God with you guys. Yeah? Let's continue to, to do this more and more. Second, let's continue to love God in this church. So not just here on our, our Sunday gatherings, but in our weekly life groups and in the relationships that you guys are forming here. Let's continue to love God 
And the church, right, the people, like continue to call people, especially people that maybe you look like, I don't know, there's always new people showing up and like, I don't know who these guys are. I'll call them, invite them to your life group or invite them out to lunch or, you know, let's continue to do relationship well here. And then lastly, continue to love God and be the church in your community. Just wherever God has planted you, in your neighborhood, in your jobs, in your, in your gyms, you know, be God's community, you know, represent God well in the areas where he has placed you and be the church and bring Jesus with you every time you go. Amen.